0: I'm happiest in the saddle. <laughs> A fellow
1: sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great start. What do you say we cut the chit chat? A hole. Dogs and cats living together.
2: Mass Terrier. Come with me if you want to live.
3: Hello. And welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time we are joined by some fellow guests and fellow podcasters. Who have we got on the podcast this
0: week, George? Well, we have, we have Liam and we have Matt from Spotlight. Welcome, guys. Can you introduce yourselves so the listeners can can work out who's, who's talking
1: when? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Liam and I'm also joined by one of my podcasting partners in crime. This is Matt. Hi, guys. Hi, Liam.
3: Tell us a little bit about Spotlight before we we jump into um, the film we're focusing on for this
1: episode. Yeah, spin out that origin, Liam. So uh, Spotlight is the Star Trek podcast from a non- trekkie perspective so basically when we started the show uh, none of us were massive star trek fans who are kind of you know going to conventions and Klingon cosplay or anything like that um yeah we all had differing kind of levels of experience with it with matt it's always a case that he had only seen the first two jj films maybe roth of khan uh with me i had seen all the movies um but i'd only seen kind of episodes here and there of any of the tv series and paul was the one who was a Bit of a closet lapsed tracky where he kind of you know had been a big fan of like things like TNG and Voyager back when he was like a kid, but then kind of you know gone off. He, he kind of closed that into his strong yeah. box. so he. I could think he was. I think he was shamed girls. out of it.
2: <laughs> the shame. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, he claimed Star Wars as his his front. You know that was his front
1: fandom, but Star Trek was always in the back. I think beaten up one too many times. Yeah, and then so we started the um, podcast as really just an excuse to do a movie series podcast. We were kind of inspired by James uh, James Bonding. It was a great podcast with Matt Myra and Matt Gawley, uh, where they went through all the James Bond films, and we're basically yeah, we're big fans of that. Yeah, it's so good in there. Absolutely, bro. We saw it at the um, the London Podcast Festival a couple of years ago as well. And oh, just, fantastic. Yeah, they,
0: yeah.
1: they inspired us to do it. And we were like, let's just find a long film series that we can do. And we we're like, what about Star Trek? 13 films. Let, let's go for that. And so the plan was always just really to do the movies. But then as we, we did it, it, got over the, it isn't even really that although like you know we were obviously like flattered by the fact that people were actually listening but it was more effective we were just having a of a time really doing it and so we were like yeah you know what let's keep going and find ways to continue this so mm. that's exactly what we've done and just consistently really evolving the show now it seems like Really, every year, we kind of shake things up and change kind of what we're doing and kind of add in new strands of episodes and stuff like that. So we started with the movies and then we went into actually starting to have a look at the TV shows. But through the lens of kind of actual fans who came on and told us like the episodes we should watch to get us hooked. And then we started Spotlight of the Movies, which is the strand of our podcast where we look at a film uh, featuring a member of Star Trek alumni either in front or behind the camera. We also do on screen, which is looking at kind of guest appearances in iconic TV shows. Um, by major Star Trek alumni. Um, And now recently we've been having kind of guests on who are Star Trek fans kind of coming on and picking an episode they're really passionate about just to talk about that. So we've done all kinds of things, interviews as well. And, you know, we're almost five years in. And right now, yeah, there's a five-year mission. (laughs) Yeah, five-year mission. Well, this is it. The benefit of not being a
2: completionist show or a watch-along show, because obviously Star Trek has... uh a wealth of uh, content out there, maybe more than any other franchise when it comes to all the different shows, uh, not being one of those shows where we are trying to cover everything it means we can jump around. So we mm-hmm. knew we were quite free to kind of dip our toes into this series and then jump over to this one and then do stuff like discovery as it is coming out, um, which is pretty cool. But uh, yeah, we're not like, you know, we didn't take the massive undertaking of trying to cover all 800 or so episodes in a row of whatever uh, all the shows are. So It has meant we've been able to focus on fan favorites, you know, guest fan favorites, um, ones that we're discovering, or little fun things like episodes that are notoriously the worst, or ones that show, um, you know, have something to say about science. We had like a Mm -hmm. Dr. Dean Burnett on for a special science uh, breakdown episode, which was great. And so we've been able to kind of cherry pick. And we know there's enough out there that we can essentially cherry pick forever. And we, you know, we still won't end up as a uh, completionist show. So it really is kind of like the book club. Uh, for newbie fan, uh, newbie t- Trek fans, which we were and and still very much are actually. Time travel comes up, doesn't it, in Star
1: Trek a few times? Yeah, a lot. And uh, funny enough, actually, one of our most recent episodes, uh, it came up. Um, literally, uh, one of our latest episodes uh, was focusing on the episode of the original series. Tomorrow's yesterday, um, which is one of the first time travel based episodes of Star Trek from the very first season of the show, uh, where Daryl from Sun Doll Deep came onto the show to pick that episode as one of his favorites. So yeah, time travel comes up a lot.
3: That's gonna be handy, isn't it, George?
0: Very handy. In this episode we're gonna be talking a lot about time travel, I feel. <laughs>
3: so yeah to bring us up to date so for this episode we will be looking at the 1994 um i want to say sci-fi but let's just call it an action film um it's a jcvd we've covered him before on the podcast our
0: fourth jcvd
3: but as as usual, we're going to have a lot of fun. But I think we kind of need to have a, a JCV dis- a J- JCVD disclaimer in that we love him, we enjoy his films, um, <laughs> and and but you can see how much fun he's having. And I think he's one of my favourite action heroes. And that's not taking him seriously. He doesn't want to be taken seriously, and I and I love that about him. So um,
0: we're going to have a lot of fun with this, aren't we, George? Do we need to do the usual disclaimer? I'll do a very brief disclaimer. So. Yeah, Retro Ramble is about the the films that Charlie and I grew up with, but also our guests grew up with as well. And it's about going back, revisiting these films, seeing whether do they still hold up? Have they gone on to influence other things? Have they been remade? And just having a bit of fun with them. It's about a bit like revisiting an old friend it's not a critical appraisal but it might be a bit of a jcvd love fest so that's a bit of an upfront warning um there's probably going to be some uh adult language because it's an adult movie not not that kind of adult movie um so please don't listen when you've got kids around and there'll probably be some bad impressions some probably bad belgian impressions uh, and spoilers throughout Uh, i think that's that's all the the disclaimer you're going to get
3: Great. Okay. well, let's 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 jump in. So uh, this time it's Time Cop. It's 1994. Enjoy the show.
0: Enjoy.
1: Max. Look, I'm not hurting anybody. i to take you back. In the
2: year 2004, time travel is a reality.
1: You're charged with violations of TEC code 40.8. Time travel with intent to alter the future. And
2: a crime. It turns out going back in time is a pretty easy way to make money. I think you got yourself a shipment of gold that you're taking to General Lee genie is already out of the bottle the technology is there now one man you ever hear the name aaron McCall? is about to take the ultimate power trip he's gonna be president you don't need the press you don't need endorsements you don't even need
3: the truth you need money
1: but to enforce the laws of time
0: are we still together in 10 years
1: am i dead one man is determined to stop him i cannot go back to save her this scumbag is not going back to steal money stay here walker in my future you're dead. Uh,
2: Think you plan too far ahead. Jean-Claude Van Damme.
1: Ron Silver. Will you get him? Mia Sara.
3: So... George, are we going to do production chat or should we start off with first memories? Let like these guys find their way into this episode. Should we do that? Yes,
0: I, I, I think let's not just first memories of, of uh, this film, which obviously we can get to, but guys, what are your first memories? How did you get to know the Muscles from Brussels?
2: I think for me, because this is a specific memory I have, for me it's through... The masterpiece of cinema that is Universal Soldier, um, because this is one of those films that me and a childhood friend discovered. Either it was either like late night TV, or he, his, his, his his he lived very cl- I can't remember. He either lived very close to uh, a tiny little newsagent slash video rental place, or at one point one of his parents owned it, and I don't know why. I can't remember which side it is because that's a very specific difference. <laughs> but he there was this tiny little proper like back room. Video store on like a suburban high street, which is a very uh, well remembered treasure trove of these type of VHS era stuff, you know, very mid 90s. And one of the ones that he must have had was Universal Soldier, and it stuck in the in the mind as being one of the you know the first like 18 rated sort of hard R action movies. I saw and uh, me and him watched it far too young and absolutely loved the hell out of it. And I think I revisited it not that long ago and it holds up, man, like it holds up. And uh, it was just a hell of a time. Like, you know, JCVD and uh, Dolph Lundgren in, in that thing. Um, so that kind of really summarizes the whole kind of mid nineties, sci-fi, hard art action genre that Timecop's kind of a part of as well. Um, yeah. And then, you know, beyond that, you know, I have to say there's not been that much other JCVD stuff out there that I've seen or remember much. Like the titular JCVD movie is a really interesting mm-hmm. piece that I really love. But I think I'm trying, to, you know, I'll, I'm sure I hear about it from you guys, but there's a lot of his classics I'm sure I've overlooked.
0: So, you haven't seen stuff like Blood Sports or no. Boxer? No. Oh, my Missing God. Missing out. Missing out. I know. Out. And this was it's a first top time top. watch for Time Cop, so Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Liam, are, am I thinking you've got a bit more of a, a, an in depth knowledge of, of JCVD?
1: Uh, well, I have now. Um, <laughs> I've got to be honest. It's like I, I did a massive. Uh, watch of tons of Jean-Claude Van Damme films for this podcast because I realised that I have seen quite a few but he's done a lot and there was still like a ton of um, his movies which are quite kind of I wouldn't say well-regarded, but like at least kind of well-known. I was like, I haven't watched yet. So I made sure I got blasted through a ton of uh, van, dam- van damage uh, for this. <laughs> um, but in terms of my first memories of JCVD, it's Street Fighter um the, really uh yeah the street fire annotation because um i looked up and of course it came out in 1994 but it didn't come out in the uk until 1995 there's in the dark right. days so we have to wait kind of, you know, a year for a film yeah. from the u.s <laughs> and then i remember i saw it when it, it immediately as soon as it came out on vhs is when i saw it so literally we would have been talking tail end of 1995 so i and I vividly remember my trip to the video shop to get this film because I think we got like the weekend it came out, went and rented it from MVC Music and Video Club. I don't know if you remember the existence. Yeah, that's nice, yeah. yeah I remember that. There you go. We had one in uh, Bournemouth in Westover Road and yeah, my one. dad went down there to rent Street Fire on opening weekend for the VHS. And when we were on our way back, we noticed there was a guy kind of a young teenage guy lying in the street um kind of like semi-conscious with loads of people gathered around him and it turned out this was like some young dude i think he was like 17 or something like that who basically overdosed on drugs and me and my dad Randy, with me whole still brandishing the copy of street Fighter, and basically got this guy and basically saved him got him to hospital um at the time and that's like that's linked in with my first jcvd movie memory because of that so in that moment i was just like jean claude and street fighter a true hero <laughs> <laughs> and in a
0: way jean claude saved him as well
1: exactly exactly like you know i put the i, I put the vhs underneath his head so he could rest it or there <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, Street Fighter was not as exciting as our roadside rescue, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was my first uh, Jean-Claude experience after that. Uh, it's just it, a blur. <laughs> well, it's reasonably few and far between, to be honest, until, until my recent splurge. But the big one for me, uh, as Matt pointed out, is JCVD. Um, To me, even after watching loads of his classics recently, that's by far the best film he's ever done in terms of actual film um, and performance. I mean, it's a really impressive piece of work in terms of uh, kind of acting. Obviously, he's got that seven-minute monologue in it, which is really, really stunning. Even as a movie, like the opening, it's got uh, a kind of like uh, one shot, uh, massive action sequence at the opening where he's filming uh, a kind of action movie, which is really, really impressive. And it's a really bizarre meta um, kind of surreal movie. Uh, I rewatched it uh, for this, and I was, it still stands up as a really interesting piece of work. Did we see that at the lighthouse, Liam? Is that what we saw no, together? No, no. I, I, I saw it on DVD um, first first time. Uh, oh, okay. I don't think it got any kind of very maybe a very tiny
2: cinematic. Yeah, and, uh, it, felt like, it felt like the sort of I film and the sort of time period where that would have come out at a cinema like the lighthouse, and we would have gone to see. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's definitely a film that I think more more people need to see um, because, as you say, for all those reasons, it's a very clever deconstruction. It's a bit like you know, there's so much stuff that's become like similar stuff that's become popular, a bit like it's a bit like The Trip, but with Jean-Claude Van Damme. But it's a lot more. It feels a lot more raw, you know, as you say, that monologue he has and stuff like that.
1: It's so funny you say that, because when I watched it again, I realised the film it really reminded me of was Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. Because <laughs> it's actually really similar in terms yeah, of a guy a getting fair. caught up, like an ex-celebrity getting caught up in a siege and then kind of becoming the face of that siege. I am Siegeface. Siegeface. <laughs> <She's fine. laughs> and all that stuff. so actually, I was like, man, Armando's got to watch j c b d at some point. Yeah.
3: A, a legend, a ballet dancer, a martial artist, and a gentleman. So where do we want to jump into this film, George? Do you want to, because uh, what have we, let's, let's just set the bar. So what have we already covered? Because they all blend together. I know that we've done Bloodsport.
0: Um, we've so done we,
3: we uh, did Universal, Universal Soldier recently.
0: Yes, so we were. We I think we put it up to our Facebook fans whether it was it was either Timecop or Universal Soldier, and it was such a close vote. But people did vote for Universal Soldier. I think it was the added Dolph Lundgren that swung swung the vote. <laughs> but because it was so close, we were like, "Fuck it, we'll we'll, we'll do Time Cop in a few months anyway." And then, well, obviously, we put it on our list of potential films for this year. And then we, we sent over our, our long list to yourselves. And, and, you, and I was quite surprised when you guys picked it. I was like, oh, nice one. We get to do uh time call. But yeah, we, we did a, a, a JCVD double feature. And we did Bloodsport and Hard Target. And Hard Target was 93, I think. So yeah, it was, it was, I think it was the last film he did before this. Uh, similar to uh yourself Matt I remember renting it for uh, on on VHS I think it might have been for a birthday party you know when you used to have birthday parties all around getting out the latest like big film that you couldn't see at the cinema um I <laughs> say so, yeah it was either 12 or 13 uh birthday by Ch- Charlie and I have a of have, have grown up with Van Damme We we had um our our very close friends and and good neighbours. They had all of his films on recorded on VHS. So we would watch them all on repeat, wouldn't we? There was Bloodsport, Kickboxer, A Wall.
3: Aka um, uh, Lionheart in the US as Wall, but we didn't watch. Yeah. I, have, I still haven't got around to watching Cyborg. Um, but there's a, there's a ton of there's, there's the there's, the, there's the, is it Double Impact where there's, there's him him and two, him with two hairstyles playing playing the part of twins. Well, um, yeah, double it,
0: Impact, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which would become quite a feature. I think he plays twins or clones in several films. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, mean,
1: no, um, I was going to mention this. Like, <laughs> like, one of the films I watched in the right was Maximum Risk. Yes, that's the, the other, other one. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's playing fucking twins. And I was like, wait a minute, this is only like a couple of years after double what the why is he continually playing twins? It he-
3: worked. then it works again.
0: <laughs> and I think there's another one which I haven't seen replicant where he's playing lots of different clones, <laughs> evil clones. I, I think just that's reason- the only guy in
2: this film. Well he, he does it again here, technically, with his future, you know, future self present yeah. self. So yes, there's yes, multiple true, yeah, running yeah. around.
0: Can yes, you indeed.
2: ever have too much JCVD. He's answer. trying to find out. He's trying to find the answers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, George, uh, we normally start off, after we've covered the first memories, uh, with some production chat. Am I right in thinking this, this was always a JCVD vehicle? But h- how do we
0: get this moving? In his career, this is peak JCVD. So, Peak um... mullet. Peak mullet, Peak, Mu- <laughs> Peak mullet, but if you think, yeah, this was kind of like the height of his Hollywood output. So he'd done, as I say, he'd done a uh, hard target in 93 with John Woo. And then I think this was the, the feature he did after this. Uh, it's actually, I didn't realize this. Um, it's actually based on a comic book. So I think it makes it the, well, the only one I know of, the only JCVD comic book adaptation. So it's from a Dark Horse uh, comic book series. So Dark Horse have done loads of, comics that have become films. So they did The Mask, Sin City, 300, Hellboy. Um, and actually the founder of Dark Horse Comics, Mike Richardson, he developed the story. And another guy, um, Mark Verheiden, wrote it. And it was a three-part series. <laughs> I'm going to have to read out the story synopsis because it's, it's, it sounds quite interesting. So... Time Cop, A Man Out of Time, involved a criminal and his robot bodyguard travelling to the 1930s so they can rob a diamond mine. After catching the criminal, Max Walker must also stop the robot from changing the past. So... Obviously, they pretty much took the title <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the and, character was... name. <laughs> um, but, but interestingly enough, um, both guys—so both uh, Mark Richardson and Mark Verheiden—so um, the guys who did the comic wrote the screenplay play for the film. So then yeah. it wasn't just a "oh, we'll, we, we like this idea, we'll take it from here." So they were quite closely involved in it. So it's, uh, it was also produced by Largo Pictures. Uh, so Largo, the only one I can remember when I see the Largo logo, uh, they did Point Break. Uh, but it was also produced by Larry Gordon, and he's covered loads of films we've covered. So Larry Gordon was uh, produced uh, alongside Joel Silver. He did Predator, Die Hard, Die Hard 2, uh, and Point Break. Um, but it's also produced by Mosh Diamant, uh, who's produced most JCVD films since 1991. He also produced uh, one of your favourite films, Charlie, Simon Says, with Dennis Rodman.
3: This is a film that George have bought for me on VHS, oh, sorry, DVD, and repeatedly gives me for my birthday. So he, he started <laughs> taking it out of the collection and wrapping it up and giving it to me. <laughs> Until I watch it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went through a phase of buying Charlie, like, joke, comedy, like... Um, christmas or birthday gifts and it was just like the cheapest shittest dvd i could find (laughs) um some of them yeah, included simon says which is because um we've seen uh it's double team with jcvd and dennis rodman which uh is a bit it's it's shit but it's also it's watchable have it it's watchable have a few beers and and it's also got mickey rourke in it um oh yeah i mean that's
1: these dark days though isn't it when he's in oh that? yeah it's, it's pre sort of uh
0: the wrestler and sin city comeback <laughs> it's definitely my my i need i need the money i'll do it um but this is also produced by sam raimi i saw that he, this time he, around he but he also uh he executive uh produced hard target and apparently on that he was so he impressed was by, by... The mullet he was like give me more mullet,
2: <laughs> he, was, mullet. he was, he was
0: hu- he was hired by the studio on Hard Target to babysit John Woo, essentially. Um, but he obviously saw something in, in Van Damme to produce, I say, this this must be his next film. Um, but I've I've gone through the archives, and it always seems to be a, a JCVD thing. It wasn't like it, it, was, it was... I couldn't find any evidence of it being offered anywhere else, but it seems like the script was there, the producers were there, and even director Peter Himes was there before JCVD was cast... Because that's right. the only thing I could find was something in Variety right. saying, oh, he's attached to this, this time travel film coming out next year.
2: That's kind of wild, isn't it? Because this feels like the era when everything would have been the next vehicle for him. If he was kind of like the last piece of the puzzle coming into what would end up being one of his most beloved uh, and iconic films, really, that's kind of that's kind of interesting.
3: It makes sense because there's not a lot of action. I'm sorry, there's not a lot of martial arts in this. There's this mm. fighting, and he obviously he's, there's certain things in his contract about showing his ass and doing the splits. But I mean, <laughs> there's not as much as there, there could be. It's more of a an action suspense sci-fi thriller type type affair that they're trying to go for. So they could have you know dropped in other actors of of the of the <laughs> time, I suppose. But, um,
0: but as I say, this is like definitely the peak of his career. So. He did this, uh, as, as Liam mentioned, he, after this, I think, was doing... Um, I don't know if he'd already signed on for Street Fighter. While well, Street Fighter was a... Well, I don't know if it was, like, considered a flop, um, but I don't know how much money it actually made, but obviously, critically, it was a flop. Speaking apparently- of which, George, how did this film do? Because I,
3: I kind of know. Well, let's let's put this to the Spotlight Boys. How well do you think this film was
1: received, Liam? Well, I actually know because uh, right. I do. I am into my stats, so I looked at the budget and the box office for the film. Um, so yeah, budget of twenty seven million, and I mean what I've written down here looks like a hundred and one million, but I think it might be seventy point one, maybe. Can someone so confirm? Well, it what's, made its face. Uh,
0: yeah, I think it made. $44 million in the States alone. So apparently it, is, it's the, it was the biggest uh, hit of, of J.C. VD's career as a lead. Mm. So obviously <laughs> he would go on to be in um, The Expendables, and I don't know how it stacks up against... Uh, Un- I think it was bigger than Universal Soldier.
1: Um, I mean, Expendables back- 2 would have made more money, but that's not really... He's not the lead. It, He's not carrying exactly. that film exactly yeah but off the back of this he was
0: um offered a three picture deal being paid uh, 12 million a a film uh, i think with universal wow. and he got he got greedy apparently and um, at the same time around well and it was the same year 1994 uh, jim carrey had hit the scene was getting paid 20 million a movie so van damme was like well it even says Jim Carrey was being paid a fortune and I wanted to play the system like an idiot. Ridiculous. And he, off the back of it, he kind of got blacklisted because he was, he got greedy and asked for too much money.
2: Oh, Jean-Claude. Oh, yeah. you, don't, Jean-Claude. you don't come after Jim Carrey in his banner year of 1994. I mean, that's, that's mad. He was it? like, yeah.
1: Suicide. Star of stars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a, as a launch year, cause 94, uh, Carrie does The Mask, Ace Ventura, and Dumb and Dumber same year, doesn't he? Yeah, all the years. And by, yeah, and by 95, he's commanding the 20 million paycheck for Batman Forever. So was one year he fair. becomes yeah. biggest star in the world, basically, at that time, for two seconds. And, yeah, JCVD, he's, he's never been carry level at the end of the day.
3: Which is a shame, because he is, prior as we are talking, this is peak. Yeah, JCVD. Just like Universal Soldier, you've seen he's the finished article. He's no longer the ballet dancer who can kick ass. He he is actually he's I think I like right. the fact that um you know if we just if we if we jump into the film, this is a different side to him, you know, this is a grieving JCVD. I, it's still passable today, his performance in this film, I think.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. I mean he's he's doing some things in this like, I mean, I do think I think Van Damme can act and i think you know here he is playing two very different versions of himself like they are it's not just a case of mullet no mullet like you do feel like they are two different versions of the same guy from different times in his life they don't feel just like exactly the same i
3: think yeah one of them is just more stylish than the other
2: yeah
0: we're talking about the mullet right <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> this far
2: future world of 2004. Yeah. Um, every- where there's a bit where a guy's running around in the past with uh, what looks like, you know, a kind of typical future space gun. And it's like, wait, is this tech from 2004? Ooh, okay, this is cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, no, I, I love the, the, the idea of any future space gun was like, just put a red light on it. It's fine, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah.
2: but, but well, I, it was, I was like the 90s maybe... were
0: obsessed with well, 80s as well, like the um, with the laser dot, the laser sights that was such a like yeah. an action movie 80s
1: yeah. and 90s. Oh, the laser sights, laser yeah. sights, kind of classic 90s thing, isn't it? Of literally this, is exactly the same thing, in Demolition Man, of this weird thing of going. Oh, in just a few years, it'll be like this. Like, you know, because yeah. Demolition Bad starts out, it's set in like three years from when the film came out, and like LA is like some hellscape or something like that like already. It's in flames, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They, they just thought the riots never ended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: So, should we yeah, should we get into the film? So you've got the... There's a lot of time jumping at the start. So you've got this bit, the opening bit, with the Civil War gold bullion being hijacked. So I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but that doesn't have any semblance on the plot, right? That's not linked to Macomb's. Thing that's no, you what know, it's, it's, it's in
3: the first meeting. When the first meeting, where you have the guy yeah. who presents it to Macomb, the whole reason that this is getting taken seriously is that True. there's some deal that's gone down in Germany and the bullion is being carbon dated <laughs> even though you can't do that with gold it's been covered and even and if it, if it had been doesn't, taken matter, through, doesn't matter <laughs> if it had been taken through time there'd be no carbon dating don't worry about that that's going to come yeah. up a lot by the way that phrase don't worry about it yeah um so yeah it, it's in that first meeting where macomb's sitting around the table and he's like this ha- this this is the first scene being talked about
0: yeah, yeah. so I, l- I love that explanation whether there's no sort of like well, Christopher Nolan sort of talking around that, you know, quantum mechanics. It's just basically like, you know that scientist? Uh-huh, he's invented time travel. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs>
2: I really dug the, uh, the, the speed at which they got into everything because, yeah, I noted that scene where they just kind of front load the exposition in this chunky monologue essentially, where it kind of works for the film, where it's just like, you know, let's get it all out of the way. They say, you know, time travel's been invented, uh, they talk about the dangers of changing things and establishing the cop agency to police it. And it's kind of just all done in one scene. And I figured no. that <laughs> it, you know, it's normally pretty clunky and lazy, but in a film which deals with time travel, I think the quickie you can get it out there, if you, you know, if you're not going to, do it in a more visual way or, or take your time or take a known approach, then fuck it, just throw it out in a boardroom, whatever.
1: <laughs> well, and I think it's okay because that opening sequence that sets it up, which they are talking about in that boardroom scene as, you know, it is basically like you say it's the justification for setting up this program is that this this heist has kind of happened Like that opening scene is so effective and so striking and i actually this is the first time i watched time cop as well um but i knew that scene because uh, when i used to work in as a manager in river island in like the late noughties i have this really very memory of there was a guy who worked with me called sean who was a man and he would often kind of just mention like the the action movie he'd be watching like the night before and he told me like the entire opening sequence of Time Cop was just like oh make Time Cop it's so fucking good like, it starts and you're in the 1800s, and there's like a fucking Confederate army. And then there's a cowboy comes along and he asks them for the gold, and they won't give him the gold. And then he pulls out fucking oozies and blows them away. And I was just like, oh, mate, that sounds amazing. And, then, like, and finally, finally, I saw it. And I was like, he was right. It's fucking awesome.
2: Yeah, I really really love that opening scene. Yeah, it's such a great way of establishing the concept because you you must have thought, you know, in previous drafts or going through the writer's head, the amount of different ways you could do that exact same thing, like pick a time period and pick a way that someone can come along disguised for a while and have the upper hand of being like, you know, what these suckers don't know is I got two machine guns under my coat. And it looks (laughs) great. Like, the, you know, cinematically, it looks beautiful. Like, it's really well shot.
3: I think that's something that'll come up again and again in this as well, because yeah, we're picking it apart. We're taking the piss, but this is, it's a watchable film. I enjoyed going back to it. It's a well-made put together film set pieces are great. It's, it's, it's well-made let just don't worry about the time travel too much.
0: But yeah, I, I don't know if it's worth mentioning now, obviously, uh, director Peter Hyams, and you know, I've, I've seen, again, like Liam, I've seen the amount of research you've been putting in on your your letterbox uh, on uh, on Twitter, but Peter Hyams is, you know, a very, he's done some amazing films, so Charlie, you may not be familiar with, with his stuff, but... The f- when I sort of say the films he's done so Capricorn 1 is a brilliant sort of paranoia sci-fi film Outland with with Sean Connery obviously you've, you've seen that he did 2010 sequel to 2001 which I haven't seen but I've heard kind of removes all the ambiguity from 2001
1: um, yeah is any I, good I watched one? 2010 as part of my research for this um, and yeah I mean I love 2001 obviously it's a kind of work of visual majesty and uh, 2010 is kind of, it's absolutely fine in terms of a sci-fi genre movie. Um, but it's, yeah, in, in comparison with the first film, it's just a completely different type of film, far more just right. a kind of basic kind of sci-fi, well-made, but sci-fi genre movie. I mean, Peter Hyams is a weird character because sometimes you watch his films and he feels like a bit of a journeyman, but sometimes... He's kind of like a really high cast journeyman because his films are actually really well put together and really well made, even though you kind of feel like he's a slightly a gun for hire, but he's really fucking good yeah. at it.
0: Yeah, I d I didn't realise as well until I started like looking into it that he's also acts as his own DOP as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And apparently I was reading or it might have been um Film Stories podcast about uh, End of Days because he did that with Arnie and he was basically fl- put into that last minute after a few other directors dropped out and they had to because it's a millennium thr- thriller they had to get it out before before <laughs> the millennium and I think it was even uh, it was James Cameron recommended him to Arnie because he said this guy is amazing for night shoots he's you know he, he really lights his, his night shoots really well and it's evidenced in this like in, in rain yeah, and is. in night he's very good at that kind of yeah, visual visual action.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, I think that the fact that he acts as his own DOP at the end of the day is, is credit to him because this film is a really nice looking movie um visually, and that over, like closing uh, rain soaks like a night action sequence, like it looks really visually stylish.
3: No, it's so visceral, and and I think it's yeah. there's the choreography of the fight. It's like I can do these, I can do that. It's like yeah, we know you can do that, but how can we use it? And the fact that they're climbing around this house, and you've got the play on the fact that we've already seen this scene, and it's it's sort of playing with it, but it's it's shot beautifully. You can as you, you can almost feel the rain. You know, it's mm-hmm. um it looks great. Right. So um, should we talk about character actors, George? Where's a good place to go? Because I love um, Matsuka, What's he called? Uh, oh, he's or, That's
0: the yeah. I can't remember his. It's a very strange character name, but that's he's played by the ever dependable Bruce McGill, who Who leads back to our last episode, George Cliffhanger.
3: He's, yes, the, so he's he, the he's the he's uh, the federal money guy. Anyway, listen to that episode. <laughs> the money guy. He's the treasury guy. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But
0: yeah, Bruce McGill is in it. I was like, he's in everything, but I couldn't. I had a complete like mental block of what's he been in, and then I looked it up, and he has been in everything. So he's been in yeah, um, Cliffhanger, uh, Last Boy Scout. He's worked with Michael Mann on loads of films. So Ali collateral the insider he's worked with spielberg on lincoln um he's worked with ridley scott he's been in loads of stuff and even here's a, a link for, for you guys he's been in star trek he was in star trek voyager as uh, in one episode as a captain braxton so so there's a tenuous link for, for he you guys is everywhere.
2: Great! Right. I love it when these um, proper character actors who are in everything across film and TV. I mean, they normally always do have a Trek connection somewhere. Because I think it's, I think it's something that crosses over, especially when <laughs> Deep Space Nine voyages all on at the same time. Like if they were coming up and if they're big in the nineties, if they were a certain type of actor and certain type of guy uh, in like the nineties, and they've probably been around on these shows. So yeah, it's uh, the connections yeah. are there.
0: I think he's also got a background in MacGyver as well. I think he was, he was in that. Um, but he's great. Like, he's one, I think he's one of the, the strongest things in this film. But you've also got the deliciously hammy Ron Silver. Um, the late, uh, late Ron Silver. The late, great Ron Silver, who, again, I sort of felt like I'd seen him in more stuff, and I feel like he should have had a bigger career but yeah. I don't like looking into thriller, what isn't he King
1: of Thriller is Silver. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm not sure, Liam. I haven't seen what what, what films are you Lack watching? We'll have to ask the guys
1: from Fatal Attractions podcast. They they know, but I swear he's probably cropped up in those of their episodes. Uh, I w- I
0: wouldn't be surprised.
1: It's a poor man's Michael <laughs> Douglas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but he's very. Trumpy and very prescient. There's there's a few lines of dialogue that Macomb comes out with, um, the you know trying to be desperately trying to go for the presidential race. So here's one line: um, elections are won with television. You don't need the press. You don't need endorsements. You don't even need the truth. You need money. Yeah. And I, and I was just like, that sounds very familiar.
2: Oh God, Trump's prepared <laughs> taking notes. He's watching this. He's like, I can do it. This is my well, way. It's
0: this. And obviously, Biff from Back to the Future, too. Yeah, so yes. it's Biff it's is the big b- one.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: It was going to happen, it was bound to happen. So, yeah, you've got some, I say, you've got some good character actors there to sort of moisture up. And is it Mia Sarah who uh, plays the, the love interest wife? She's from Ferris Bueller's.
3: Yeah, George, what was the, um, the, the link you sent me recently? That was it the IMDb description of this oh, film?
0: Yeah, I, I sent Charlie a screen grab on my phone. You know, IMDb, only when you open it on, on a web screen, it has plot keywords. And, and for, for Time Cop, it was time travel, cult film. Female front, a front female nudity,
3: full, <laughs> I like, yeah. full, full yeah. frontal female nudity. You were just yeah. like, I know. Three things I look for in every film.
0: In every film, that, that's how I search my movies, just using those three key. Well, well that's it. I, I
2: really wasn't expecting the sudden turn into softcore porn with the uh, the sex scene
0: here with jazz, candles, and a bit of Van Damme ass. Uh, you got it all, it's in the contract,
3: Van Van ass. Ass. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, no, I was, Yeah, Charlie and I used to have a, a, j- a joke that he, he has written into his contract. In every film, he has to show his ass and do the splits. It's like, I've only got two, <laughs> two rules, guys. Preferably at the same, same time. time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I mean, this I love it in this one how he is kicking ass, taking names in his pants. Yeah,
2: well, yeah, well, he, he's the type of guy who's stopping a mugger by just standing in his way and then just lifting his <laughs> foot up. Like he's—I don't even need to kick you, mate. I just have to put my sole of my foot in your face, and you will stop and you know bow down to my stretchy ability. And then, of course, it <laughs> splits. Comes at the end of uh, a kind of little manic uh, action set piece in his apartment where he just uses it. He doesn't even use that in a fight either. It's like it's he out of time. This so like, I will avoid this electric floor by just whoop, hopping up and doing the split across my kitchen counter. <laughs>
0: Like we all the do. The question, the question I have for that scene is: so the reason he jumps up because the waters, the water spill on the floor is from a water cooler. Why does he have an office water cooler in his apartment? <laughs> like, he, yeah. has, has, has he nicked it from work?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to mention, Matt. Just the thing where near the opening where he stops the mugger just by basically high, almost high kicking him in the face. I was just like up to that point i was like oh this is kind of feels much more like a sci-fi movie than a jcvd movie and then when that moment happens i was like oh it's almost like that bit is in there to remind the audience hey you're watching a van Damflick. flick like this, yeah this, this isn't just... this guy can kick <laughs> Yeah. yeah.
0: Great Scott. shall we do- try and dissect the time travel in this film well, let's talk. Let's, OK, so
3: just a quick let's have a quick run through. So there's obviously there's the great scene at the beginning, a great setting, the scene where we go back to the 1800s for the stealing of the gold, which is carbon date. Well, we won't talk about that. Yeah. Then there's the, going back to the 1930s. Who doesn't want to play the stock market because you've kind of I'd, got,
0: I'd completely forgotten about that moment. I, I remember it's in the, the iconic trailer, opening. George. It's in the trailer. Uh, that, that's the bit but, from the trailer is when he's um, in the 1930s. Is that when he's in the 1930s listening to the futuristic technology of a mini disc? Is it a mini disc? I'm pretty sure he's listening to a mini disc. You always As get I, excited. You always get excited when there's a mini disc. Very mini-disc. excited. Underrated uh, was, technology. Underrated. They're going to come back. They're going to come back, trust me. <laughs> Go on.
3: No, I'm just saying so you, the, this is the first time when we actually see him going back. And, you know, you can only go back, you can't go forward. What do they do at the end of the scene? Well, they go, they go forward. They, they go back to present day um, just by pressing a button. So that's when you start to raise the eyebrows now. And as a full disclaimer, there's a, this went over our head when we were younger, George. We didn't care, did we? We didn't yeah. realize we were in our teens. No. And now you're just
0: like, eh so um because he walks into the frame he walks he he walks through the nice really nice visual t2-esque liquid metal time warp you know which still looks good still looks good but then when they return they return it in their rocket powered sled. so what i don't understand how when do they get in the sled is the sled just waiting in in
1: limbo
2: it's like they couldn't quite choose a lane on how to time travel because, yeah, they set up this whole almost back to the future style thing where you've got to like sit in this vehicle, essentially, and go really, you know, drive really fast to, I don't know, what get you up to eight, eight miles an hour, essentially. But then they just kind of, you know, appear out of thin air as if they've teleported. They're not traveling with the machine. So it's a weird case of like you use that to go back in time, but then you come back of your own accord, of which, as Charlie's pointed out, you shouldn't really be able to do anyway. Because um, yep. if, if the rule is you can't go forwards, what they're saying is the rule is you can't go forwards from now. So we can yes. go back and forth. But then that's an arbitrary. Who's making that up? Like, you can't go beyond <laughs> where we currently <laughs> yeah. are now. Um, feel, it would make I sense feel... if it was a case of they can't go forwards because, I don't know, so, like, history needs to be made with the time already, travel tech. Yeah. So yeah. until it's happened, you can't go there whereas the past is kind of free game. But I really do love this, uh, you know, the general approach to stuff. Like, I do like the way that the things that criminals are using time travel for is just kind of like petty crime stuff, or it's like cheating the stock market or robbing cowboys. You know, it's like, it feels like there's a whole world there um, that can be explored of, like, who, who else has access to this, to this tech to be honest and then what would you go back and do it for because the guy who's just cheating the stock market in the 30s that feels quite smart and the way he's kind of just like blending in he's obviously got a whole life there like the doorman knows him and everything but it's a weird thing where they go past the guy who's jumped off a building at the start and then when it gets to the point where they're falling from the building, I was like, oh, it's going to be like a loop. And that guy on the yeah. floor is going to be that guy. But then, no, he just crashes into a separate car. So I was like, oh, what's the point of the guy on the floor? <laughs> is, <laughs> is that mean? linked to
0: the, the stock market crash? Is that what they're saying when people are like they've fucked up so they're throwing themselves off buildings type thing I, th- I think that's what it was kind of trying to allude to yeah, yeah think, it's like just
2: so. oh, another jumper in this yeah. terrible yeah but th- the mm.
0: question i have is why of ron silver's senator mccomb's plan of is his plan to keep going back and stealing stuff so he's he's playing the stock market he's he's buying this um microchip company why doesn't he just do a biff and just do it all in one go? Why does he have to keep repeatedly going back? It just doesn't seem to make sense.
3: Well, there's, there's, there's a few things. I mean, I think you're touching on, I think there's some... Am I some,
0: overthinking it?
3: No, no. I just, what what right. I want to point out here is because, and I've only thought about this since you mentioned this came from a comic book, but I, what I was saying before is that there's some... There's, I get the feeling that there's... there's th- from the time travel uh, element in this film, some of it has been thought through. And a lot of it has been thrown together. And the, the elements were, yeah, so you, you can only go back. That's obviously in the comic. And it's like made to work in the comic. Like, if you see this guy who's gone back and is playing the stock market, he's gone back and he's living there. And so maybe the time cops have this sort of um, this technology that can whip them back, that it just drops them and it pulls them back without there being any travel required. It's not like that. So that's going too far. But I think this film creates complexities a bit like Tenet. It creates complexities that aren't, aren't necessary in that if they are a time cop agency, why are they so surprised when he comes back saying that he's come from another time and that timelines have been altered and they're like the guy's nuts you have to convince <laughs> us it's like this should be case 101 it's like oh fuck you know somebody's done something and it's actually changed it um but yeah then, it's like hey greg get out of this guy he says he's from the f- a different future or whatever what are we time cops oh yes we are <laughs> well,
2: what does he think time
3: travel exists yes it does and we're running the
2: organization yeah that was a really interesting thing where it was kind of like they wanted to have that scenario of somebody coming back to a changed future and no one really know what's going on. But it's like the place he literally is at is a time cop agency who would be the only people who would know what's going on. So it's like they went, oh, fuck it, just have everyone confused.
0: The fact that the, the time cop, the the TEC still exists, it's not like he comes back and walks into a different building mm. and everyone's like, who are you? He still get, turns up on the rocket sled and they're like, yeah, I don't know who
1: you are, mate. I don't know what's going on. I'm sure this can't be time travel related.
3: <laughs>
1: what were you going to say, Liam? I was going to say number one, this film definitely makes more sense than Tenet. Number, <laughs> number one, <laughs> number two, um, yeah, like that whole uh, sequence where he comes back and like that. I mean, I, I would say he he manages to sell uh, his boss pretty quickly on on what's happened. He kind of sides with him pretty fast, which I think is one of the best scenes in the film um, when he actually kind of sac- uh, McGill sacrifices his life. Yeah. Uh, so he can yeah. escape because it's all become corrupted. I think that's an amazing scene um, the thing with the time travel in this film I, I think time travel movies are always quite discombobulated anyway and you kind of expect to ha- be having to play catch up some of the time as an audience and I kind of actually quite like that as long as it's kind of paid off which I kind of think it is in this film I think by the end it all sort of makes it as much sense as it's, as it's going to and um, yeah you're kind of watching it and but quite early on, when it started first going forward into the future, you really did feel like things have progressed 10 years and things have changed a lot. And you are kind of playing catch up with events. And the way the script is written actually seemed quite smartly laid out to me. There's a lot more going on in this than a standard JCVD action film at the time, in my opinion. Yes.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I think my, my main hang-up is just the time travel mechanics of you, you go in the rocket sled, you turn up running or walking, and, and it does have some moments of, like, of tension, you know, the bit where he turns up and he's on the highway and he has to, you know, dodge that, that um, you know, lorry. There's a time where they end up in the water. And that's like, oh, that's really interesting. But, again, it just it doesn't make sense with the actual sort of mechanics of they just haven't thought it through thoroughly. But I do it's like, like- there's,
3: a, there's a second unit team. Well, oh, you mean there's a car? <laughs> there's a car?
0: <laughs> I thought we'd just drop them off in the water and then we send them back. We didn't know anything about this car. That's not in my notes. Oh, we haven't built it yet. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. And apparently I've, I've got... It's the sledge, the, the bobsleigh, the time... Capsule, whatever you want to call it. Poor man's DeLorean. (laughs) It was, yeah, well, it was um, designed by uh, the legendary Sid Mead. Sid Mead has worked on loads of sci-fi films. Um, Blade Runner is is one of his, like, his biggest things. And he he says, oh, yeah, I was hired to design the time machine launch vehicle they rode in. It ran on rails very fast so that it could somehow, oh, I don't know. It was a fun movie, though. (laughs) 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 <laughs> just tails off of his own question, like, well,
2: um, did you see the movie? Yeah, it's, so fun, yeah, it? oh, <laughs> it's a fun movie. I got paid. Um,
3: it's one thing so- to look back from now, though, isn't it? You know, because it's still, the, the film still very much delivers. There's that question, and it's raised in the film. What if you could go back and you're like, oh, he's going to get a chance to, to save his wife. And that's what the audience wants to see. And it delivers upon that. It's like, don't worry about time-space continuum rubbish, you know. Don't, yeah. don't, don't worry too much about
1: it. <laughs> yeah. Um, whole thing with the the sled the magic sled that goes, because when it when it goes you do see the sled disappear with them in into the kind of time warp don't you what it should have been is it literally it gets to the point where they're about to time warp and they get projected out of the sled so it kind hits something they go whoa yeah and fly <laughs> out of the sled into like a
3: vortex <laughs> really do we have do we have budget for that no <laughs> <laughs>
0: do do the ripple effect it looks good keep doing it keep doing it
3: Yes, I do. I think that that's something that I feel like, sorry, George, I know you were going to, there was another point you wanted to talk about, but it does feel disjointed in this film. There's certain aspects that work well. And I do, I I use the second unit as a joke. It's sort of like, oh, we're doing the, he's altered the timeline. It's like, there's altered timelines? You know, it's almost like parts of this film aren't talking to each other, but the start and the end kind of makes sense. And the time travel in the middle is kind of a bit, you know, um, discombobulated is probably a good word for it.
2: Well, that's the thing, like they set up the whole, because with time travel, when it it comes down to really is you can play it one of mostly one of two ways. And as long as you stick to your own rules, you can kind of be a bit loose of them. And it's either the idea that whatever happened, happened. So whatever you go back and do in the past is how it always was. Or the idea that what you go back and change, changes the future, back to the future style. Um, Yeah. And this genuinely feels to be the type of, if you go back and do something, it changes stuff because they're always talking about ripples and that's when they notice things differently. But the one kind of main plot point that seems to go along the, whatever happened happened logic is the whole house explosion with his wife. Cause obviously that did happen. We saw that happen. So are we led to believe yeah. that when we see it happen the first time, future him is dicking about doing all the stuff we see him do in the in the finale, or is that only happening once he goes and does that? Because that's the only time in the film really when it kind of crosses the streams with its own rules in a major way that I saw, where it was like, oh, this is something we've already seen happen once and now we're getting to see behind the curtain and the way the two the two versions of him cross over and do things together. Whereas normally it seems to be you go and change things, hence him coming back to the future and everything's different. So it was a weird case of, you know, what what happened here? I
0: was, was going to say I was trying to work that out as well. Um, I was trying to think: is there like, do I need to go back and watch the start of it and see the mullet in the corner of the frame? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, a wet mullet. Like, yes, he was there the whole time. But I think they do want to have their cake and eat it. And say, oh, we'll, mm. we'll play it both ways. This is his chance to to come back and, well, and stop. It, I, I think
2: I think the the ripple effect version makes for good kind of. I don't know, cop procedural plot stuff. But if you want to have a central a character element of which he gets to save someone who he's lost in the past, uh, you're going to need that moment to replay and, and revisit a moment that we've already seen once, even though that would all be different second time around <laughs> yeah
3: but you're, you're absolutely right in that it, it, it breaks its own rules map because there's a point in it where macomb gets really annoyed with his assistant and he breaks his nose he then goes back and he changes the future completely owns the thing earns loads of money comes back and his assistant still got a broken nose but that timeline wouldn't exist anymore so it's like mm. at, one mo- at one moment they cha- they're all on the same timeline and whatever the ch- whatever they do changes but the way that it would happen is that it's i think it's more likely like the bats to yeah. the future. It's
2: either like they just wanted to keep little surface points, like a broken nose on a character, because that's easy to track, uh, and then rewrite the big stuff, not realizing you know you
1: can't do both in this instance. (laughs) But they do. I think that's probably the case because we all know that the problem with stuff like this is is if they had gone back and he hadn't got a broken nose, some cunt on one of those kind of movie mistake shows would have been that turned around and gone like, Oh, in this shot we can see he has a broken nose and in the next shot we can see he has not got a broken nose. <laughs> oh movie mistake. <laughs>
3: But no, it's it's. I think the, the this film d- does deliver though. It gives it gives you what you want, and uh, the it, I think there's obviously there's a little bit of action at the beginning. There's that good thing where they come from at the flat, and we get the splits throughout. The fight scenes are great. The choreography is great. Um, the bad guy is great. Then there's all of this. We're all being confused by the time travel, and yes, we're looking back from today uh, after just. I mean, I watched Tenet the other night with my wife, who's only finally got round to seeing it, and I love that film for being a complex puzzle when i saw it at the cinema now when i watch it again i was like that's way more complicated than it even needs to be now that i understand it there's actually text and bad audio thrown in just to confuse you whereas here it's like i feel like this time travel stuff has been thrown in in a mix like yeah let's just nobody really knows how it works <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's just say this is happening because it's very plot. and <laughs> yeah and do you know what i think i think they get away with it honestly because this is what a six out of seven ten yeah
2: it's a set well, I'd you've set got to know set what set type of film you're seeing and what, time you ex- uh, what kind of film you expect. And, uh, mm. yeah, some of this knows that, you know, it's not going to have just quantum theorists sitting down for a serious, like, hmm, hmm. It's going to have, you know, popcorn <laughs> crowd, So you just need enough to get by, really. That
3: is the junket question to Chris Nolan, though. So, Chris, um, I mean, I, I hope you're not insulted
1: by this, but how much of Tenet was inspired by Time <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think the problem with Nolan is he just doesn't realise that he is appealing to the popcorn crowd at the end of the day that his films are made for that market and yet i think he thinks he's making some of art house pictures only going to be watched by 12 people when he makes uh, something like ten at the end of the day there's so kind of literally so anti-mainstream audience uh, yeah and i think this kind of pulls it off so much better in terms of yeah the first half you're not quite sure why things are actually happening that are but you're kind of enjoying it so you're following along it's similar feeling i had at the beginning of tenant but by the halfway point things start to come together whereas with tenant like the halfway point you get to the point where things make so little sense you no longer care So the one
0: thing that I picked up that maybe Christopher Nolan might not have seen Time Cop or will admit to seeing Time Cop, but I Uh wonder if, if Steven Spielberg has, because there's one moment in it that was like, Hang on, um, is where he's Van Damme's watching the home movies of his wife yeah. making a bird box, and Makes he's talking like he's playing the part. He's drunk, and he's 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 reenacting the home videos. And I only I revisited uh, Minority Report recently, it's the same. and it's exactly the same in Minority Report with Tom Cruise reenacting with it, home videos of his son. I'm like. Spielberg's ripped off Time Cop
3: Yeah but George maybe we just don't understand American culture maybe they're just all really weird and they buy small
2: models of the houses and they build them <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean if you're, if you're a lone detective for a future agency this is you know you lose your wife and you have access to home videos then you've got to
1: get drunk and sad in front of it this is the law That's true That's true is a, so what we're saying is all of the biggest Hollywood directors have been primarily inspired <laughs> by
2: Time Copp. Time well, Cop is the most influential movie of all time. <laughs>
3: well, there I mean, who, who hasn't been influenced knowingly or unknowingly? So, yeah, I, mean, I think I have, and I hadn't seen it until the other week. So it just <laughs> seeps into my DNA. I think uh, when it comes to Van Damme, though, normally he's always like uh, cheeky, chappy, can have a bit of a dance, gonna kick ass mainly. And in this, he's playing, as you could argue, kind of two roles. Um, there's there's a brilliant film called Los Los Crimes uh, Cronos. It's uh, Time Crimes. Uh, mm. If you can check it out, it's a Spanish film. And in that, they really play with the fact that you watch the film and there's a character. And then, and then when you get towards the end of the film, you don't realize that you've actually seen parts of the plot in the, in the first act that are, you know, later on. So they could have done that thing where, but honestly, the, you raised the question before, he, it's done, the third act in this film is done in a way that he could have been creeping around. Yeah. I, I yeah. think they, they do think about it a little bit. Um, and then there's obviously a crossroads where he totally gets in the way and alters the timeline.
0: Well, that's it. I was, I maybe sort of remembered it differently. I remembered it having more sort of JCVD ass kickery in that final act, but it's more of, um, we talked about before, like it's so well shot. It's a bit more like a horror film. It's very much like haunted house. You've got the rain, you've got people being picked off in the darkness. You don't know where the bad guys are. She's, she's, what's she doing on the bloody roof?
1: (laughs) Scaling, (laughs) scaling on the roof. And, the house yeah. is like a house of horrors, isn't it? It, it is. is like a, a classic. Like looks like it's a ridiculous house. I mean, that's got to be a choice. I mean, I know that it's obviously a house on a back lot somewhere, but it's an insane house. No one lives in. Especially some random cop does not live in that house. It, it looks like the fucking psycho house, or something. <laughs> <like a> can- <laughs> thing. Well,
0: and on, on, on his salary as well, I was like, it's a very. I know they're planning to have a family, but it's a very big house. <laughs> We don't know what she
3: does. We don't know what she does, George. You know, I know it's the 90s, but maybe she's got a big, you know, well-paid Washington job,
0: you know. Um, no, but I do love that moment where he goes to, he intercepts his wife in the mall and she's like, what, what, I don't understand what happened to you. And what she's really saying is,
1: what's with the mullet? <laughs> it seemed as if she didn't
0: recognise him.
1: And I was like, he's only got a mullet <laughs> and He's he's that,
3: that different. No, but it's the fact that she takes a few seconds, she she like looks at him and she goes, what's wrong? And then like moments pass and then she goes, you're not the same, Max. (laughs) And it's like, oh, really? I grew a mullet in an afternoon and now...
2: (laughs) (laughs) Literally the whole like, something's different. Did you get a haircut?
3: (laughs) I love you, you look amazing um, <laughs> there's, but there's the nice little things that he goes to the hospital and there's the there's, sleuth there's thing and then he finds out she's pregnant so I, I think that you know we've been spoiled with, um, with a lot of time travel films because they're great to play with and I think directors who take them on are brave and as we've talked about you can go down the very straightforward let's not try and explain it too much and then the oh dear let's open a can of worms and I think this film's like we're going to use it it's going to be essential to the plot and it's but it's essentially because it is a tangent. It's like the main villain is a presidential candidate and a time cup gets in his way because he's there at the beginning, you know? So they, their paths wouldn't have crossed had he not mm. tried to stop him done his job. So, I guess it, it kind of holds together, but I feel like there's a payoff. I feel like it's a good performance. Uh, we've got the good character actors, um, so I, I was I was satisfied by the time I got to the end of this. And as George said, we had the um, we put it out to the followers whether we do Universal Soldier and All Time Cop, and Unisol was chosen. We covered that. I still went and watched Time Cop then, and I went and watched it again in preparation for this <laughs> podcast because I don't know. A few months have passed. You can't have enough JCVD. So yeah,
2: yeah. I. I I'll, I was surprised at how kind of focused it was, because I thought, you know, oh, there's going to be a wild 90s JCVD time travel movie that they'd be jumping all over the place. And, you know, apart from the sort of Wild West at the start, or whatever it is, and the 1930s, that's kind of it. They go back to the past, which is 1994 from 2004. But that's obviously the present when the movie comes out. So a lot of it is essentially just set in <laughs> the present day. But it's still around. out of <laughs> They run out yeah, of money. Yeah, yeah. They it's can't. Like... They can't be popping about all over the place. It,
0: it's like it's... Um, Mas- Masters of the Universe. Let's just travel <laughs> back to 1987
2: for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it. the it kind of the film it reminded me of actually is something like Looper, which kind of sets up. You know, if, if Time Cop is the time travel police loopers you know the time travel underworld and assassins kind of thing and it kind of it has its own world and mythology and stuff but it's a very focused story down to the point of both ending up with extended sequences at a house you know you've got the farmhouse and looper and you've got the house finale here and it it doesn't quite go as expansive you know they're not jumping back and running away from from dinosaurs or anything i imagine that's something the comic book or maybe like a new comic book could do now or even like a TV spinoff or something like, you know, a procedural show with literally cops jumping back to a different time period each week. Um, You know, there's more, you know, there's more time travel jumping about in something like Bill and Ted, you know, which is uh, obviously a completely different film, but here it kind of really just focuses it down um, to, you know, yeah, stopping this evil uh, politician bloke and it, yeah, jumping between, a present day that we all know and love, and a 2004 with, uh, laser guns. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I have what, one more nitpick, though, about the, the happy ending... So he's obviously changed time. Oh, my God, he, yes. He, 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 gets, he gets in a self-driving car, and he goes, take me um, and the self-driving <laughs> car, takes him um, and back to the, the spooky house. And he meets his wife and son that he has no knowledge of so he's having to basically lie to his son for the rest of his life like oh yeah you know those first 10 years were re- really good fun um, yeah I want, see, I want to
2: see the scene immediately after when he gets back in the house where the son's just uh, like dad remember that thing we did last week he's like what's your name boy
3: but is he really gonna
2: he's not gonna have to lie to him because
3: he's gonna have himself that's the well, thing that's he's a, worked out there's two no, of what, it
0: i was gonna say what happened to the other He's still in the there. 1994 timeline. <laughs> is it going to be Eiffel my, Eiffel, my Two Eiffel.
3: dads? It's going to be Eiffel Tower three-way. That's all I'm saying. It's just going to be. Jason walks in the house, sees him, snaps his neck immediately.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you can't touch each other, of course, because otherwise you turn into oh, this yeah! horrible Lovecraftian blob, yeah. Um, yeah. which is really cool. But I like, I like that idea of, it's quite like a distinguished idea of, oh, yeah, two you know, the same person can occupy the same time and space as and you can't touch. It's quite like a lofty idea, quite philosophical. And then the way the film just dramatizes it is like, oh yeah, if you do it, it would just turn into a big hulking blob and melt onto the floor. It's like,
1: yes.
0: Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> you just imagine the, you. The, uh, the VFX guys going, guys, I've got this really cool animation that turns into like a lava lamp type thing. Yeah, yeah do it. we'll do that. Put it in.
3: <laughs> let's not talk about the same matter never being able to occupy the same space because we never really touch each other and stuff. But let's let's not talk about that. It's um touch. Yeah, it's it's, but there is if technically there's there's two walkers.
2: Yeah. I want to see about- the rom-com sequel, which is basically like pushing daisies, where the two JCBDs cannot touch each other, and yet they have to have the same wife and share father duties. Yeah, so you do this. He just one of them just walks the road and becomes Highlander.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, <there> <laughs> get, um, we are getting very much into suspicious spin-offs territory, gentlemen. Yeah,
3: so, so suspicious spin-offs is where um, if they haven't been remade already, we talk about what we'd like to see. So we're, we're already talking about it, uh, Liam. Um, what would you, what what sequel would you like to see? Series remake? What would your spin-off of Time Cop be if it was revisited?
1: Well, I thought about this because I, I know that Time Cop did have a bunch of kind—I of, don't know—like TV movie, TV show kind of. L- later on but I you know I'm sure they're all pretty shit uh, whereas now you could do something really kind of high budget like Netflix 10 part kind of time cop series and I, I was like this film I really really enjoyed it but I think it's kind of bursting with potential. Like, I don't think they Definitely. really fully explore what what everything really. that they could do within this film. And I think it's obvious it's based on kind of like a comic book kind of you know, a continuing story because you feel like you could build this out into kind of multiple arcs. And I think that the opening sequence with that really striking visual of the cowboy with the Uzi and stuff shows you the potential there. So I was like, you could do a really fucking cool kind of mission of the week kind of cop procedural show. Um, but with a wider arc, so in the first episode, you get the setup of his uh, wife being killed, the house blowing up, all that stuff. That's in the first episode that sets up the kind of general story, and he becomes the time cop and everything like that. It's all in the first one, and then you could do a kind of mission of the week. Uh, type thing where you could explore a different type of time crime in every episode because you know i think that that opens it shows you there's potential to run and run with it do all kinds of mix and match fun things with that that you could just keep trying out new ideas in this landscape meanwhile you build up the wider arc of him trying to save his uh, wife and everything like that and the and uh, the bigger bad uh, over the series and in the finale what you get is he goes back and we get the House of Horrors where he has to save his uh, wife and everything like that. But then the final scene of the season one finale is he goes back. It's like a retread of the happy ending of this. But instead of going back and getting happy ending, he has saved his wife. But when he goes to the future, his wife is still alive. He's got a son but it's the fucking post-apocalypse. And Ooh. whatever he did by saving his wife, it caused the apocalypse somehow. So, and literally now he's like, well, what do I sacrifice? The world or my wife and child? And that's <laughs> the that for season two. Boom! Nice. nice. I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Okay.
2: Um, Matt, can you, can you top that? Well, he's basically just looked at my notes, has not he? The uh, <laughs> great, yeah, great minds, Liam. I, yeah, my note was kind of, yeah, you could easily do a TV uh, series version of this because, yeah, you're right. The potential of this concept is very, it's literally timeless, unlimited and hasn't been tapped yet. Um, so I was kind of thinking, you know, you could, you could almost do it separate where you kind of re, uh, either reuse the Van Damme character or go completely clean of new characters. Um, you can do a whole thing where there's, you know, it's time cops, policing history, getting into scrapes. Um, it could be about this partnership that goes rogue, perhaps, where the partner ends up being kind of the, uh, the secret turncoat baddie and goes off, and then it could be about the lead character kind of searching for this other, this old partner of his throughout history. So you could have the uh, time crime of the week, sort of monster of the week set up, but the overall arc being like, it's kind of like a manhunt and there could be something going on that kind of creates a ticking clock scenario as well, where I don't know they're, they're heading towards some disaster with uh, a, uncha- like an unchangeable moment, like linchpin moment in the past that they got to stop. But yeah, the idea of kind of like, yeah, trying to find somebody throughout history and finding all these like little clues and they could, you know, unearth some, they could be back in like the 1800s, but unearth some treasure from like the 1300s that has like a, a note that was written yesterday and you can work it out through, I don't know, you carbon dating stuff or or whatever it is, <laughs> little, little things. So then they, you know, dive back to the 1300s and then there's clues there that relate to like the 24th century or something. And yeah, trying to like, Run through this timeline in you know, a chronological order throughout the series, but if you looked at it uh, in chronological order of where they were at one time, it would just be a hell of a mess for the writer 's room to work out, but it would be there and you could you could do it where almost almost the way lost approached its flashbacks where once you started getting multiple episodes with the same characters flashbacks, you're, you're playing the game of like, where does this fit into this timeline? Is this before uh, okay. the last time we saw them in the past or is it in the future? And, you know, you could, if you could pull off some a twist, like, you know, <laughs> the, the the lost flash forwards uh, of that magnitude, that would be fantastic. Um, well,
0: what, but yeah. What you, both your ideas were making me think of the, the Westworld reboot where you're not yeah. sure what what timeline they're in sort of some, some spoilers for West Westworld, but in terms of, yeah, where, where are we in the story? And it's it, as I say it is a bit like peace feeding you, sort of piecemeal saying, oh, well, it could be this or it could be before then. George, in our version, could-
1: that would be done for an actual reason, though, not like in Westworld.
0: <laughs> I, I gave up on <laughs> Westworld. I think I got through about Halfway through series two, and I was like, I just can't be asked with same this. Same
3: here, same here. Yeah, don't blame me. Think, but like, uh, I'm sorry to say it, but same with Lost. Uh, I was about hmm. three three oh. episodes into three episodes into the second season. I was like, no, you're just you're just trying to create a franchise now. There's no storytelling. We're the
1: biggest Lost apologists you will ever meet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so there dear. you go. Yes, you absolutely love yeah. it.
2: But no, I There's think never, there has never been a bigger upturn in quality from like the mid of season three. To the end of season three, it kind of hits its lowest point and then just goes on a massive curve up, and yeah, it that's true, stays that's up true. pretty high. I'm sure I'll get round to watching it someday. I mean, I, y-
3: <laughs> you're talking to somebody who, with all the films I watch and 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 now having children, I still haven't got round to finishing off The Sopranos. So I'll be, I'll be. Oh, oh dear, don't oh don't oh tell Liam that. God, Chai, <laughs> what are you doing to me? <laughs> uh, oh no, don't worry. I know, but don't get me wrong. I love The Sopranos. I'm like three seasons in, but I haven't got 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 through it yet. So, you're savoring uh, it. You're savoring yeah. it. Now yeah I'm, but I, i'm i'm i know i know where it's going um so yeah in terms of spinoffs so we're, we're agreed it's, it's going to be a tv show i one one thing that was on my mind that i would bring into a spinoff is just where i think this film could have been tweaked i think i think what you're both adhering to this idea of it being a time cop agency think of it like minority report but the fact that they are they're professionals that they they go back and they tweak time but they're used to coming back and they're being slighted. like they come back and they say Do to your mission uh, the, the reality has been altered by blah 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 and like the uniforms are slightly different the bosses you know like everyone's got different hairstyles I think you could have fun with that and have plot narratives coming off that yeah yeah and I, more and I less and, and more just, well, I mean, look, look, look. Say <laughs> like, grow every week. Look, say we like <laughs> Mollock George, right? But it works, it works, one, for, no, for narrative. It guides you. You know which JCVD yeah. you're dealing with. And also it looks badass, you know. Um, so, uh, but I do, uh, my spinoff would be like kind of, like what you guys are saying, I think what we're all asking for is there is definitely an opportunity if you're listening Hollywood because we know you are um, to make a time cop agency type show where you maybe you've got more than just two you've got you've got a team of them and they interact and they, they but the, the actual whole thing is about going back and stopping bad things from happening without causing say more than. Point, yeah, yeah, Point whatever percentage difference to the reality. Um, so yeah, you I mean,
2: you break down the departments. There could be the homicide and the vice, but for time, yeah. Nice. Exactly.
3: by century, no, you guys, you guys do the dark ages, yeah, because you you can't. We're not going to jurisdiction out. here. This is dinosaur yeah. land, right? Yeah, this is dinosaur <laughs> land. Is what do you know about paleontology, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what well, we were all want we all want more t- uh, time cop, and we just wanted to be more coherent. Um, just don't lose the mullets, you know.
0: Just mm. well,
2: I mean. I know no, I think we might be getting something... The closest we might be getting to this is this upcoming Loki show, which I don't have any yeah. insider info, but from the look of those trailers, it seems to be a time agency having to go and fix all the mistakes that Loki's yes. made by breaking the uh, thingy. So and that's going to be an interesting way of, to see how they do it.
3: He's kind of got a mullet.
0: <laughs> yeah, a bit of a mullet. It's
3: more of a Tony Blair mullet, but it's, it's still yeah. kind of a mullet.
0: Yeah. No, uh, yeah, Charlie and I were just chatting about that last week. I was like saying... You know, when I, when I heard it first announced, I was like, oh, a Loki show, really? And then when I saw the trailer, I was like, actually, I'm in. I was like, yeah, time variant, you know, agency, mm. you know, trying to fix all the timelines. I was like, I mean, Charlie and I are huge time travel fans. We, you know, we'll watch good, good, bad and different, and read loads of time travel stories. So, yeah, I'm I'm really intrigued by that. Um, my, my suspicious spin off, though, I just want to go back to the source material and see Van Damme fighting a robot for some reason. <laughs> <having> <laughs> I
1: surely he's done that in one of his films.
0: Uh, you, you'd, ho- you'd hope so. We also have a couple of suspicious spin offs from our, from our listeners. Uh, we've only got a couple, so I'll, I'll read them out. So, Phil "You Chin Don't say says, that, George. You, you don't say
3: that, George. Say, I'm sorry, we've only got time to read out two of them.
0: <laughs> we've only got time to read two because there were so many ideas um, so Phil Chin on Instagram says arguably the best last great Van Damme film but he says would have loved a proper sequel with Van Damme going against someone who could go toe to toe with him like Wesley Snipes or Steven Seagal now that would I'd pay good money I'm, I'm also open to a crossover with Demolition Man if he goes into the future yes. of yeah, San yeah, Dimas yeah, yeah. Is it not San Dimas? Uh, what's it called? <laughs> yeah, San, San it Angeles.
3: I'm putting Bill and Ted in there as well. well. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Know. It's a
2: showdown. It's like it's like the portal scene from Endgame. Ted yeah. shows up, up and he's he's John Wick now, so he kicks out.
0: Oh. <laughs> shut up, this stuff's shut, writing up and, itself. And,
3: shut up and take our money.
0: <laughs> and James Gwynn on Twitter says. Just before Walker kills McComb, he wakes up and realizes that with all that fancy kicking, he is actually a <laughs> He's about to star in a new show, but can't remember the lines or the dance moves. Hilarity ensues, directed <laughs> by Alandro Gonales Iñárritu. So, <laughs> a bit like Birdman, but with JCVD, Woodward. <laughs> oh
1: man.
3: But George, I, th- there's probably not any um, coulda, woulda, shouldas for this. We know it was a JCVD vehicle. Well, there's anybody I just else
0: considered through the internet? No, I, cu- I couldn't find a single alternative casting on this, which is very odd. For, for usually we unearth something. It seems like even from a director's point of view, Peter Holmes was always uh, like attached. There was no one else in the frame. It was always Van Damme. Uh, I can't even find yet yeah, any alternative casting for you know um, Macomb or Matusak. Well, there you go. So, yeah. That was a
3: very quick coulda, woulda, shoulda. So um, guys, I got nothing. <laughs> guys, um, before before we sign off, um, where where can where can we find you? Tell us a little bit about you know what you've got coming up or what you've covered recently on your podcast.
1: Well, we're gonna do some kind of like final thoughts on this, or like where it falls in our own Van Dam rankings, yeah. or anything like that we yeah, don't do
0: so, scores
3: yeah. we don't typically do scores we normally just say whether uh, we recommend okay. we say it, it, it still stands up it's terrible go and watch it or or not <laughs> so, but
0: where do you think i mean liam it sounds like you have been uh, immersing yourself in a lot of jcvd and peter hyams uh he's got recommend. stats <laughs> um but what is where does this sit for you well for, for a question for you both where does this sit for you in the jcvd That catalogue because he's obviously done a lot of stinkers but he's done some good good stuff as well some good action fare
1: so in terms of what i've seen this is top three for me in terms of van damme like and i would say this is uh, i think i've pretty much seen all his most kind of famous iconic movies of like his heyday now I would say this is definitely the best of those like because uh, like I say JCVD I definitely think is the best film he's done Um, I've got a real fondness for uh, The Expendables 2 because I think he's he's brilliant as the villain in that I think he's so good um, the villain
0: villain. that's named Jean Villain
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, say he is the (laughs) ultimate villain, like uh, in that movie. So that's great. But in terms of like his hater, I think this is probably the best of his uh, kind of like a big kind of banner star years. To be honest, yeah. So it's definitely a recommend uh, from me.
2: No. Yeah, I'm I'm. Yeah, I'm same camp. I'd say top three because if I'm looking at just, I'm just looking at his filmography here on Letterboxd and it's kind of, yeah, between Time Cop, Universal Soldier and JCVD, the sort of main three mentioned, it's it's up there with those. Although, of course, he is also uh, a voice in Kung Fu Panda 2 and 3, which are both very good, but yes. hardly <laughs> classified as Jean-Claude movies. Um, yeah, I think I think Time Cop's great. I think it'll be, it would make a really good triple bill with uh, Demolish Man, as mentioned. And also, the I don't know if any of you guys have seen this, the 1992 Rutger vehicle Split Second, which is a bud- I, a, an American-British buddy cop sci-fi horror.
0: <laughs> I'm aware right? of it, because doesn't it like, it looks like it's a bit like the creature out of Venom or something. You know, yeah, it's, it's kind of like Rutger
2: Hauer is this, fu- this like, gruff future cop hunting an alien, basically. And it's genuinely quite great in the sense of, it feels very Garth Merengue's Dark Place at times. Like it's, uh-huh. there's bits where it's hilarious and you're like, this has to be a because it's written like a gag, but you're not quite sure. How Howard plays it so straight. And uh, it's set in the future of 2008 where global warming and heavy rainfall has partially submerged London. Um, and basically all that means is any location they shoot on, they just slosh out about a foot's worth of water all around them and that's <laughs> it. Uh, but Kim Kim Cattrall's in it as well. And it's and Pete Posleswaite as well. It's worth wow. seeing. I, I watched it not long ago, I can't remember where. I think it might be on Prime. Um but that's 992. So yeah, between that, Demolished Man and this would be a great kind of grungy early nineties dark, Sci- like dark sci-fi sci-fi. Dark as in What's... nighttime sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Huh. We should add that to our um... yeah. Retro Ramble Revelations list. Those are the films that we we that, that we missed. That we yeah. yeah. It's, it's
2: it's generally quite funny because yeah, they they set up bits where it's like, you know, you get those kind of knowingly comedy, almost Naked Gun esque, where it's people talking about this great super cop. So there's a guy who's talking to his boss, and he's just like, he's just seen gahara in action. He's just like hard drinking and chain smoke, and he's like, this is the best cop we have. And the guy's like, yeah, he's the best. He goes. I, I I saw him walk down an alleyway earlier. He shot a bin. <laughs> 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 and It's just deadpan straight, and I'm like, this is too good.
3: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Can
0: I have to check that out. Well, the the other film that we actually do have on our uh, revelations list is the the film that so John uh, JCVD and Peter Himes are reunited. They said they he. They didn't want to have any interest in doing Time Cup 2, but they did Sudden Death together, which oh, yeah. is die Hard in a hockey rink. And so many people have said it's, you know, for Die diehard ripoffs, it's a lot of fun. But as of yet, Charlie and I have yet to see it. So that we may cover it, that at some point as well. It's
1: fun. It's fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's not great, but it's definitely a fun watch. Just, I mean, watch it alone just for uh, Jean-Claude's fight with a giant kind of like bird mascot. <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious yeah i mean he
3: kn- he knows how to f- have fun i think you know we we grew up with the uh the you know the rivalry between um you know Arnie and, and Sly and they're, they're, they're two actors who in their own way kind of took themselves rather seriously whether it was in their appearance or their acting prowess or, their, or just how much money they were making and you always just get the impression from Van Damme that he's just having a great he looks like a fun, fun guy he's having a good time so I can do some kicks yeah I can do that and yes I can do some acting um, so yeah I mean we're big fans it's no surprise they, those, those names that we've mentioned um, you know pop up and I know we're talking about this being the era where Hollywood had taken notice of Van Damme and it was Peak Van Damme. Right. But I'll always remember it was I was growing up as he was going through Hollywood in his early days. It, for me it's the it is the kickboxer, it's the blood sport, it's the A-Wall, it's the it's it's where it's about his physicality. And you know we talked you have talked about Universal Soldier. When we went back and reviewed that recently, I was like, it's a good film. I love uh, Dolph Lundgren in that and I love the action and the and the kicking and stuff from Jean-Claude Van Damme. But his acting is like rabbit in the headlights for the majority of the film, he's, you know, he's he's not really there. So yeah, I, I think this is. I like this film because he's actually acting. He's got a he's got an arc,
1: you know. So mm-hmm. Lundgren's better in Universal yeah. Soldier. Yeah, he's definitely. what you remember. He's, yeah. he's he has a lot show. of fun in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he gets all yeah, the good completely. lines. Uh, have you guys seen the the Jean-Claude Van Damme TV series that he's done for Amazon? I've Prime? watched some of it. I watched. I watched yeah, the I've, first. I was like, that's also quite meta,
3: isn't it? It's like he's Yes. He's, yeah. It's it's a continuation of JC. It's like almost trying to
0: serialize the JCVD film. It's like, well, we'll we'll talk about you as a celebrity. What's hmm. your life really? Like? Yeah. Uh, again, I yeah I watched about two or three episodes, and I thought it was a brilliant idea. I thought the pilot was good. But I just didn't. I thought it was good potential, but just didn't capitalize on it enough. Because as we say, he's a great, he has great comic timing and he's willing to take the piss out of himself. But I just didn't think, I thought it it had, maybe it was just the writing that let it down. I thought he, you know, did as best as he could with it. But it just, it it was in terms of the actual pitch was a good idea that just didn't, the execution wasn't that great.
3: But let's talk about. I mean, you've got the whole John Cole Van Damme thing, you know, just to sign off, why I've, I've actually got so much respect from. There's the Volvo advert with the trucks, there's the yes. Cause adverts with, <laughs> with his double <laughs> denim in the snow. I mean, that's why I love him. So I think he has so much personality. And he's like, I'm, I'm JCVD. He's got his dance, he's got his, um, you know, you, you got to love the guy. I think he's got a lot. He's got a lot of character to him, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think this this is probably where he was making the most money. But I think he was having when we go back and look at Bloodsport and Kickbox, it was like when he was so so young. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so guys, where can we find you online?
1: So you can find us at Spotlight Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Obviously, you can find Spotlight on any of your kind of uh, podcast fees, spotify Acast, Apple Podcasts—all, all, all of them really. In terms of, I was, I was having a little think about episodes that might appeal to your kind of audience. I think uh, we've done two interviews with Robert Salin, who was the producer of Star Trek II, Roth of Khan. Uh, I can see that being a very retro ramble kind of movie at the end of the day. So there's lots of insight into the making of that there. We interviewed Richard Donner, of course, who's the director of Superman, the movie, the Goonies, the Lethal Weapon films. Uh, so I think that, that would be of a lot of interest as well. I mean, he's obviously, it was an honor to get to interview him. And he's, you know, really fascinating hour plus interview kind of looking over his whole career. Um, You know, obviously he's an iconic director, so that was really fun. Also, I think some of our spotlight like the movies would probably appeal like we did one on Police Academy 5 at Miami Beach, uh, which was pretty much a celebration of the whole Police Academy <laughs> uh, franchise. I think people would be down with that. So there's quite a few episodes, I think, that would uh, 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 appeal in a space the as well. show. But in a space, yeah, in yeah. a space. We did with Nick DeSemlin, and that's a kind of 80s classic. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. really, really good fun, that one.
0: Yeah, uh, a few, I've listened to a few of your, your Spock movies recently. Uh, I really enjoyed your, your take on Batman and Robin. I thought I was surprised at, at how eloquently you defended that film. You really sort of pulled out the strengths of a, a very controversial film. Um, but you also, with, with Nick de Semillon, uh, you did um, one of Charlie and I's favourite films. You did uh, Loaded Weapon.
1: Yes, we did. National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One um, with, with Nit Semlin again, uh, Deputy Editor of Empire Magazine. It, that was really, really great. And again, that's the kind of episode, although we are talking directly about that film, uh, we, we kind of do talk about National Lampoon and kind of spoof films in general as well. Kind of, You know, whenever we do um, kind of any of these kind of movies that have a wider kind of context, we always try and take in as much. As we can, uh, like we did, an episode about Miami Vice uh, because George Decay is in uh, episode, um, but we ended up talking about literally Michael Mann's entire filmography in that episode. <laughs> so you know, uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a, a lot of, range, a lot of range, So if you're looking for a different perspective on the Star Trek universe, come to Scott.
0: Cullen. And uh, Matt, you're a man of of a, a few other podcasts as well as any man you'd of like to, too many to podcasts.
2: Yes, <laughs> uh, yes. as well as Spotlight, I'm one of the regular co-hosts now on Dunn Double Deep, where I'm joined by, well, I join, uh, Dow and Jeanette Baer over on their show, where we look at three films linked by a word in the title. The um, recent one that's gone up has been Best. Um, so we, we pick like words out of a tin most of the time and then try and find three films to link it. We try and pick films that cover various genres, uh, decades, and countries if we can. Uh, but for Best, I picked out, Um, my best friend's wedding best in show and we are the best as an example of a triple bill there and then me and daryl recently started up another spin-off podcast called is paul dano okay where we're going through the filmography of one paul franklin dano to see if he really does get his ass kicked in everything he signs up to be in um so Whereas Sun Double Deep* is a weekly show, so it's always it's always coming out. Uh, the Paul Danner approach—we're dropping it in seasons, so we're kind of batch recording, sort of seasons, mm-hmm. looking at about eight films with a couple of bonuses, having a couple months break, and then coming back for another another round. So all of season one is now out there. We've covered such films as *Looper*, previously mentioned earlier today, and mm-hmm. uh, *Little Miss Sunshine* and Okja. And uh, some of his lesser-known stuff, he was in a really great Sundance indie breakout called uh, L.I.E., Long Island Expressway, uh, playing against Brian Cox, which is excellent. And being Flynn, a very little underseen um, drama from 2012 with a really good Robert De Niro. And season two coming up, yeah, we'll be looking at a lot more of his big stuff and and smaller stuff. So that's been a fun enterprise to just kind of see... Just track one one guy, you know, one specific guy, and he's the type of actor who, you've whether you know it or not, you've probably seen a lot of films of him in. He has a very eclectic uh, career so far, um, and it's a good mix of kind of well-known great movies, underseen good movies, maybe a few stinkers in there as well. So it's a good uh, a good range to kind of track. And so far, you know, he is maturatively not okay in these movies. So there's definitely something in his decision in his uh, movie picking decisions here. <laughs> so yeah so those two are um you can follow us Sundouble deep it's at sdd film podcast uh on twitter and is paul Dano okay is is paul Dano okay on twitter and instagram and uh where we you get your pods and paul we hope you're okay wherever you are we do hope you're okay paul <laughs> are you okay
3: so george uh-huh. what what have we got coming up next on the on our on retro ramble
0: now uh we we've been a little bit sort of had to reshuffle things because of the ever-changing cinema release and trying to tenuously link in with them. But I believe with unbelievably the ninth Fast and Furious film coming out uh, in June or July, we are going to be going back to the start and reviewing 2001's The Fast and the Furious. Whoa! Who would have thought you could have got nine, nine, probably ten films out of that, that first film? So I'm um, quite ride or I'm die, baby, ride or die. Yeah, ride right. right together, we die together. <laughs> um, so yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to that for all its um, homoerotic tendencies and us talking around because we've done Point Break already and talking about obviously it's it's links to that film as well.
3: I'm not looking forward to going back to it, but I'm a professional and will give it the the required attention it deserves.
1: Fast and Furious is one of those series where I feel like Rufus from Bill and Ted should come in at the end of the Fast and the Furious and go it
0: gets better. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, and I think that's something we're going to look at, is just, like, how it progresses from, oh, it's a film about gritty street racing and and crime, to, oh, yes, it's cars that have got rocket packs on them, and it's Mission Impossible in, in sports cars. Um I mean, it's so, yes, more I,
1: I, Avengers <laughs> in sports cars <laughs> at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yes I think yeah we're going to be doing that next
3: can't wait
0: amazing
3: brilliant okay well thank you very much for coming on guys um, so we've had that's Matt and Liam from, uh,
0: from Spotlight please check them out uh, for this episode I've been Charlie McGee I've been George McGee and yes, thank you to our guests and I'm sure, yes, we may, we, we talked about coverings uh, Wrath of Khan so um, we may need to get your thoughts on that at uh, at some point, maybe get you to do a soundbite for that uh, whenever we get around to tackling it. But That'll thank you for, for coming on guys. Live long. Thanks guys, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, see you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.